Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Thank you for being with us today. You are listening to An Artist Speaks, presented by Contemporary Art Gallery Online. Contemporary Art Gallery Online represents tomorrow's art giants today. Come visit us at ContemporaryArtGalleryOnline.com and there you can view and purchase great works of contemporary art, check out our monthly art competitions and exhibitions, our blog and newsletter, view videos of our artists' work, and even listen to artist interviews from this show. Today, our guest is James Cormay. James was born in Brooklyn, New York, but now lives in Manhattan, where he has worked for more than 35 years. Pieces have been shown in the U.S., Europe, and Japan, and are in many public and private collections. James combines traditional subject matter with a contemporary interpretation, creating images of heroic proportions as light reflected and transmitted, evokes clarity of vision and delight in the forms of the natural world. Well, good morning, James, and welcome to An Artist Speaks. Good morning, Mike. Let's start off the show this morning with having you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself. Well, you've got a a pretty good head start there. Um, (laughs) I'm married, living in Manhattan. We live about my studio, and our apartment is about a half a block from Central Park. And we're a few blocks from Lincoln Center, so we're really right in the heart of of Manhattan. Very lively area and full of life and full of art. Um, Hopefully I can contribute a little bit to that in uh, in my work in this neighborhood. Uh, As you've said, I've shown extensively around the U.S. I also had a one-man show in Japan and also in Munich, uh, Germany. Uh, They were both very successful. And the, we were greeted and treated with tremendous respect and, and affection. Uh, it was a wonderful trip that both my wife and I uh, took to both Germany and Japan. We have two grandchildren. My daughter and her family live in London, and they love it. I myself lived and worked in London for uh, three years back in the early 70s. Speaking of the early 70s, that's when I had my first one-man show on Madison Avenue. And the show consisted almost entirely of egg paintings, larger-than-life eggs, open and closed, oils on canvas. And that show was a sellout, and it <laughs> I went on to be called the Eggman uh, in... <laughs> There various art circles. It may also have been because it was coined by a writer for Art Voices magazine that did a really very nice article about my work, and she coined that term, the Eggman, which of course is also a reverence to the Beatles and their songs of that time. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Mike, that we can get into or any questions you have? First of all, I want to let the audience know you've got to come to the gallery and and see James's artwork. It is extraordinarily wonderful, 
and I think you'll be surprised and amazed at how realistic his paintings are and and uh, the texture and the composition of the paintings. But James, when did you first become interested in uh, art? Well, it goes back a ways. I, I was about 11 years old, and uh, at that time, if one had a fractured leg, one was laid up for a while. I couldn't go to school, so I was recuperating, and uh, there were comic books that I was presented with by friends and my parents, and, you know, I would read them and look at them, and when I finished, I said, you know, I, mean, I, I think I can do can do that. So I started creating little characters of my own, and it didn't take long before I moved on to other things, sketches of imaginary landscapes, uh, sketches of uh, fruit, vegetables that I saw around the house. And then one day I just said to myself, you know, this is it. This is really what I want to do. I had no idea how I could have and make a living in art, but I knew at that early age that uh, that was what I wanted to do. And that really grew and stayed with me as kind of a burning desire that has never faded, even though I've had to do commercial work during my you know, my adult years. But painting was always there, sketching, painting, and sculpture occasionally. Um, and I think, as I said, my first professional uh, show was on Madison Avenue in 1972. But that uh, that desire to create uh, was something that lit like a little fire and has always been burning bright during my, my career. James, tell the audience about your artistic process, uh, beginning from where you get your inspiration for your art. Well, you know, inspiration can come from anything. I can be walking down the street. I can I can see light reflecting on, let's just say, a piece of fruit in a market, and I can just take off from there. Also, if if it doesn't if it doesn't come from something you know that I may see in my uh, my travels, uh, if, for instance, I'm preparing for a show, I'll just sit and be quiet and in a way instruct my mind to come up with ideas. And this is a technique that I've spoken to other artists about, and they have found it useful. When the mind is peaceful, you know, ideas can come in from, from everywhere. And I've used this technique, and, and it's worked for me. One, I would like to say the muse is always there waiting to uh, to listen, and if you ask a question, if you ask for inspiration, very often it will arrive, and it it is a surprise where, when it comes in, what form it would take. And I've found in my work, as it's developed over the years, the the movement. Even though my work has always been very almost photographically realistic the challenges and the subject matter that I've used has varied tremendously. Uh, I, I suppose I've painted every fruit and vegetable that one can imagine. Uh, 
in many, many different locations, uh, often with dog backgrounds and often with landscape backgrounds. But um, the inspiration is, um, I guess you can say, the universe is always there, kind of waiting. And if you can tap in and with a quiet mind, it, uh, it, it flows. Artists that, um, if we can go there, and the artists that have inspired me, aside from images that come in, I've always said to, when I was teaching to students, go to a museum and sit in front of an artist or a painting or a piece of sculpture. Just, in a way, fall in love with with the particular artist and they will teach you. They can, they can be your mentor. They can be your teacher. Even they may have passed long ago, their work is alive and well. And I have found that true in artists such as Turner, Cezanne, uh, Crivelli, an uh, artist from Venice back in the early Renaissance, uh, and seeing their work and really contemplating it has given me tremendous inspiration and helped me find, to help me find my own voice, um, which the color, the light, the form in these various artists has, has in a way, been a tremendous inspiration. Well, and a question I should have probably asked earlier, where did you get your inspiration for the egg show that you did uh, in England? I had been working uh, in England and also in, in New York City uh, as a photographer. Uh, I was doing the advertising work uh, at openings for the Museum of Modern Art back in the uh, early 70s. And when I would kind of do, um, I guess you call it a busman's holiday, take a break from that photography, I just one day took an egg and I set it up on, in my studio and photographed it against a dark background. And the glowing white shell was, I don't know how to put it, but the strength of that image set me thinking that that could be translated into painting. And with that as a challenge, the, the dark background and the glowing egg, that kind of uh, set something in motion, which then went on to become, as I said, this one-man show that I had uh, on Madison Avenue. But it, it did come from a certain photographic um, image. It came from the desire for clarity, for sharpness, uh, using light and, and using and form. Obviously, from the simple image of the egg closed, then open, uh, so one went from a very, very almost severe image of white to the beautiful burst of color that one sees when a, an egg is open, uh, the sharpness of the broken shell, the glow of the yolk, uh, the light reflecting on uh, the shell and the yolk. 
that then led to exploring other natural images. I think the, the um, idea behind this is that we live with these things every day. We see very simple items in our refrigerator. We see them in a grocery store. And we, they never really contemplated as objects aside from food. By painting a larger-than-life, you know, for instance, if you're confronted with a four-foot pear painted very <laughs> realistically, it stops you in your tracks and 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 makes you aware not only of, of the image but of yourself. You just kind of w- wake up a little bit. Often we walk around sometimes half asleep, and images that I've tried to present bring one to a sense of awareness of the world around and, of, and of course, of, of one's own sense of life and one's own sense of being. So that has been very, very uh, rewarding. And as the new paintings I'm working on, as the paintings that were are now on your uh, website, uh, have been blending the landscape with the still life. My desire has always been to uh, indicate the oneness of nature and the oneness of forms in nature. And I've done that often by having a still life painting with a landscape background. But now what I'm, what I'm attempting to do is blend the two and bring the forms together so that you will have, uh, for instance, the close-up of a broccoli with all of its florets and the branches as though of a tree, and then a landscape growing out of that. Oh, wow. So it's an ongoing process, Mike. Well, I know white is an important part of your artwork. Was that something you developed in your photography, or was it there prior to the photography and you just enhanced it with your photography? Well, I think the photography was, you know, when you when you look through when I as, when I was earning my living as a photographer, you know, looking through the lens, one wants to get as much clear information as possible to present to the viewer, and the adjunct of that uh, exercise of testing the vision, using the vision, sharpening the vision, teaching myself to look, um, then attempting in my work to pass it on to the viewer. My feeling is that there's a transmission, you know, that if I can observe something and see something clearly and see something that maybe one would pass by without giving much attention, if I can notice that and then I can interpret that uh, in a larger-than-life scale, for instance, and present that to the viewer, they in turn can share in that, creative process. So it's it's like an electrical current, I feel, you know, that something starts, is transmitted, and then the energy is received on the other end. And hopefully that can enliven uh, the viewer as it's enlivened me in my work, in my observation. So it's, um, it's a, hopefully it's a dance that we both partake in that, uh, you know, I as the artist they as the viewer, and the, the meaning that I see in something as simple as a piece of fruit, for instance, uh, they can partake in. 
And I have quite a few letters that people have written to me uh, after living with uh, one of my paintings for a while. And it made me feel, you know, it's quite rewarding because they say indeed that they have been able to, uh, while, for instance, doing something very simple like opening a cucumber <laughs> or cutting into a pear, they see the internal structure and they just, oh, wow, you know, look at that. That is really beautiful. So it's uh, that is really a goal of my work, Mike. Well, and share with the audience, once you've had your inspiration or your idea for a particular painting, take us through the, the process of transporting that to the canvas for us. Well, there are uh, sketches that are done. Uh, often uh, there are, I do photographic studies of my work, which which are really sketches as well. And the ground that I work on, I really work on very, very smooth canvas, which is not that easy to get uh, nowadays. It has to be primed with oils. I've found that oil paint does not sit well on acrylic primed uh, canvas. So that's why I, I search and find the smoothest possible oil primed canvas. Uh, when I work, I work in glazes. And with oils, of course, the paint has to dry in between mm -hmm. sittings, if one could say that. So I work on two or three paintings at the same time. So I begin a painting, I get a good start on the composition, uh, the sense of color and uh, light and dark. When I get to a certain point, uh, let that paint, let that painting dry, I put that aside, and I begin another painting. I often work in a series. For instance, one of the shows that I had back in, I think, the early 90s, uh, just came as an inspiration. And there were paintings, cities of the world. So, for instance, there was a painting of the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building in the background, and in the foreground, a large red apple. You know, the big apple is, of course, the New York <laughs> symbol. Right. Uh, I then did a painting of background of Venice with pears in the foreground. The Leaning Tower of Pisa with a large egg in the foreground. And every uh, painting had a little story that went with it. For instance, the uh, the painting of Venice, I had this little title that perhaps Crivelli, as I said before, was a Venetian painter, uh, had some pears in his studio because he did use pears extensively in his paintings. And th those pears were on a windowsill, and in the background was that very iconic view across the lagoon uh, in Venice. And that show also was uh, a good... They were all large paintings, very large paintings, and all of the paintings were sold. Uh, so th this, again, was an inspiration that just came when I knew a show was in the uh, offing at this Madison Avenue gallery where I had a one-man show every two years so that something had to arise, and indeed I was fortunate enough to have this idea of cities of the world. That um, 
well, that's pretty much the inspiration and also, the, you know, how it was prepared from the idea coming to mind, finding the right canvas, the proper smooth canvas, and then in this particular series of Cities of the World, I would work on two or three paintings, different one city, New York perhaps, Venice perhaps, and then uh, I think one there was one of Paris as well. And so that was uh, kind of a production line, you know, the, the paintings will all be set up and worked on. And as I was working on each one, the relationship between them, so they all had a uh, a common theme for the show, which uh, I find to be very important that every ex- exhibit should have some of a common theme. Well, that's very true. I agree. Well, then from start to finish on a painting, on average... How long does it take you to complete it, one of your paintings? Well, I'm kind of a quick worker. Um, in between drying time and so forth, I would say that uh, two weeks from start to finish on a painting. Oh. Now, obviously, depending on size, uh, I've worked from you know small, small paintings for int- intimate settings. Mm-hmm. The largest painting I've done was uh, seven by five feet. Uh, that was a, <laughs> a oh. cauliflower, <laughs> if you can imagine, uh, against yeah. a, a twilight sky um, with the kind of a purplish uh, haze over this cauliflower, which was sitting as though, you know, in a garden. And the other painting was an equal size, and that was a uh, a landscape with fruits and vegetables for a client who had a very large farm on Long Island and wanted a view of the produce that uh, his farm uh, produced. Um, and he would set that against a his wall so he could look out the window to the fields where all of this produce was growing, and then he could look over to the wall and see his potatoes and his corn and his lettuce. Uh, That was a very, very large painting and a lot of fun to do. (laughs) Well, do you have a size uh, that you have a preference for when you're working? Yeah, most of the sizes I work in, uh, generally, I would say 32 by 36 sometimes maybe I would say a little bit larger, 42 by 48, that type of proportion. Uh, Occasionally, if I want to have, uh, you know, a a very horizontal painting, you know, then we're talking about a dramatic painting, which is maybe only 18 inches high, but as wide as 40 inches. I've done uh, paintings. I had a show in Chicago which was called um, How Sweet It Is, and it was all candies. So the candies, I did a painting of gumdrops, which uh, was about 40 inches wide and only, I think, um, 16 inches high. So you get this really panoramic view of multicolored gumdrops, 
uh, reflected on glass. That was a fun show. <laughs> so I did peppermints. I did everything that you can think of as far as candy was concerned. And again, it, the idea of exploring a form and exploring uh, a form in in very realistic presentation, but varying the contents and varying the subject matter. So even though primarily I've used natural objects, I've also gotten into, you know, obviously with candy, man-made objects. The goal is always the same, light and form, and to have the viewer see something that is basically uh, an ordinary object, as such as a gumdrop, but painted in a in a way that would have them connect and see beauty in something that is an everyday object. Because, you know, we are surrounded by beauty in this world, and some of it is just passed by every single day, but to kind of peel the eyes and to see something afresh, uh, you know, that, that clarity of vision is really what I'm I'm searching for. James, I think this is a good spot to take a quick commercial break, and then when we come back, we'll uh, talk about the three pieces of art that you submitted for the art competition in August. Great. Thanks, Mike. And I want to let our listeners know that you can view and purchase James Tormey's artwork by going to contemporaryartgalleryonline.com, click on the Search Gallery tab, and then on the Artist tab, and then search for James Tormey's name. Contemporary Art Gallery Online is the number one source for showcasing tomorrow's art giants. So if you're an artist seeking gallery representation, click on the Artist Member Corner and follow the prompts under the Membership Application Process tab. And if you're a designer, an architect, or just a lover of great art who believes that art can turn a house into a home, then come visit us and review some of the wonderful art created by some of the finest artists in North America. You can search by style, medium, color, size, or even by the individual artist. And again, to view James Tormay's beautiful art, just click on the search gallery and then follow the prompts to Mr. Tormay's name. Well, James, the winning piece from that August competition that you created was called The Valley. Tell the audience about that piece. Well, going back to what I was saying earlier, the what I'm doing now with my work is to really blend the landscape, uh, let's say a distant view of nature, with the up-close view. So with the valley, I used a uh, cross-section of broccoli. If one looks at a broccoli and and, and just makes a cross-section, the branches are so similar to the branches of a tree, this commonality in nature we find of forms. So in this particular painting, one is looking through, in a sense, one of the stem of the broccoli to a distant landscape with a sunrise over mountains. The florets spread out as though of a tree so that one can contemplate the the glow of the sunrise and how that glow is illuminating as though from within uh, this broccoli. Because 
when natural objects are, are growing, they grow because of the power of the sun and the nutrition of, of the sun. So that, to me, to, uh, and I guess one can say in a, a spiritual sense, that inner glow that we all have, the inner glow that is, is our life, uh, one finds in nature. To, to, so for me, to present that is basically saying what you see there is within you. That light that you see glowing through that landscape, that light coming from the sun and glowing through this simple vegetable is the light that we have within inside us. We have different names for it in different philosophies or in different religions, but it's that life thread, it's that life force that that in, enlivens us, our intelligence, our love. Um, and I'm really just saying that in paint on a canvas that it that pulsating life is is what we are and is, of course, we share with nature because we are all part of that. Is that getting too philosophical for you, Mike? <laughs> but it, that, so that's the philosophy that does enliven my work. I mean, that that is really why I paint. It is uh, an offering for the viewer to see in the work what they can see within themselves. Well, it certainly is a very lovely painting, and and, and looking at you. your work, you know, you can see. I could see the message that, that you're you're putting out there, and I, it's a wonderful art. The other or a second piece that you entered was called "A River Runs Through." Tell the audience about that piece. That's the uh, the very large pear, <laughs> which is segmented, correct? Um, yes. I don't have it in my um, screen. Right. Uh, and, you know, that was really one of the, the first in that uh, attempt to bring the landscape uh, into and blend with the uh, object. So it's a, it's a very large painting of a very large pair. That's very clear. <laughs> but yeah. the, the separation... Uh, the spaces in between, so the sky is shining through and the landscape with the river and so forth is coming through so that you have what is close and what is far blending together as one. So there's no separation. It isn't as though you know you have a still life in the foreground and the landscape in the background. There's a blending of the two of them you know they're they're joined together. You you see one through the other. So and well again it's it's kind of a dance. Um, mm -hmm. The the desire has well I think you know it started when I was I was doing paintings at one point a, a, quite a large series of paintings of fruit in crystal bowls and in the crystal bowl the form of the fruit shining through the crystal broke up the image almost in an abstract way. So you would look through and you'd see a hint of a lemon or a hint 
of an apple or a pear coming through the facets in the crystal and the light reflecting different facets. And yet, above that, as the fruit came out of the top of the crystal, here with this razor-sharp image of a pear or an apple. So you had a combination of the abstract below and the sharpness above. That joining, that interplay between the the non-objective or the abstract and the realistic is is also something in in my philosophy that you know we live in a world which is based on forms that are microscopic. I mean, I'm very fascinated by quantum theory and quantum mechanics that basically says that what is so far below on a microscopic level is lives by certain rules which are almost abstract. When it gets up to our level of so-called reality, what we see is ordinary and very clear and sharp. But what what is the foundation of that is very mysterious. And um, that bringing together the unknown and the known is something that, again, is one of the basis of, of my work. I think, you know, it's this blending together disparate forms, blending together things that you don't think quite uh, go together and making them one the painting that you're addressing now about the pair, uh, you know, putting a pair in a situation like that and almost uh, having it deconstructed into different sections so that one can see through that, see through the appearance to what lies behind, in this case, a a landscape. Um, That's very satisfying for me and hopefully for the viewer. Well, I, I believe that it is, and what I found, I just love the, the contrasting light that you use in your paintings. I, that's just it's very beautiful. Thank you. And I have to tell you, I'm from the Southwest, so my favorite painting was Southwest Vista. Oh. Tell the audience about that. Well, again... Uh, when I painted that, I had not been to that part of the world. I, I have been since, but it was this desire to to use uh, Native American baskets, which I have a, a collection of, and put them in a situation with, uh, in, a, in a sense, the environment that they spring from, you know, that part of our country, which mm-hmm. is uh, tremendous space, tremendous openness. So you have, in fact, I'm looking at this painting now. It's hanging on uh, the wall of my studio. It's a very large painting. Um, The lemons, the oranges, and then this view way off in the distance with the, the clouds and the mountains so that you have this intimacy and of the beautiful, beautiful baskets that hopefully I've, I've executed uh, as well as I could with the wicker and the color and the fruit. And then you were there, and then you can just carry through off into the distance. So it's, it's a trip, a trip to the southwest, <laughs> which eventually I made with uh, my wife and I did, the, I think, 
the whole length of um, Arizona, um, and I got to see much of the land and some of these the beautiful artifacts that were uh, produced by a Native American culture. So that it it uh, when I look at this painting, you know, I'm transported uh, back to that area when it was initially painted and conceived. It was really kind of my imaginary trip, which uh, I found very satisfying. Well, as I say, from having grown up there, I mean, it, what struck me right off was the was the mesas in the background, because if you grow up in that or you've been to that part of the country, that you see those quite a bit, and it, I just you did an awesome job of representing those. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it is. Um, our last trip, we went to all the way down to actually the the tip of uh, right at the border of Mexico, and there's mm-hmm. a, a a small village where the craftsmen produce pottery that is just absolutely breathtaking, uh, and the pottery is painted with the hairs. They, they take hairs from their children's head, make brushes, very, very fine brushes, and uh, paint these uh, unbelievable uh, decorative pots. And whenever I look, we have those in, in our home, and whenever I look at these pots, they're kind of a wake-up call to me as well because I uh, it keeps me on my toes. And my feeling is that this level, this quality of painting in using very, very simple tools, uh, uh, you know, I have to stay on my toes. I have to keep my work <laughs> up to a certain level and a certain quality when one can see uh, what others have produced. I mean, this is true of, of you know, art in, in general. If one goes to a museum or if one goes to a fine art gallery and, and sees work that they admire from uh, other either contemporary artists or a museum from artists of the past, it's it's a lesson, you know. If if one is working in in the art field, our brothers and sisters from the past or in the present are doing magnificent, have done magnificent things, and are doing magnificent things. So one is always kind of supported and and kept to a level of. Uh, Quality, you know, one wants to always present something of quality for the viewer, so that we, you know, it, it is a brotherhood, a sisterhood of those that have always wanted to bring the best they could to the viewer. Well, James, we are getting a, towards the end of the show, and uh-huh. one question I always like to ask artists, and you've been a selling artist for number of years, what advice would you have for a young or new artist, I should say, getting into the industry? Well, as I said earlier, uh, for the very the very young artist to find an artist that one really can fall in love with to and contemplate the work, they will be taught. They will get something, not in words, but in the uh, the images, whether in sculpture or in painting, 
that the artist has conveyed, if one really opens up to that, there will be teaching. When an artist gets to the point where he or she is going out into the world with their work, um, wanting to present it, hopefully, to begin to earn a living, the work is the important thing, not the fame, not the celebrity. If we look around in the art world today, there is a lot of that. There is a lot of um, fame and glory, um, celebrity seeking, I suppose you could call it. And that is really, to me at least, not what it's about. What it's about is the work itself. What it's about is finding your own voice, really reflecting on what that is, what you have to say, and in order to do that, you have to kind of come to terms with who you are. That every piece of art is, in a way, an expression of a philosophy, uh, whether the artist knows it or not. That you're saying to the world, this is my value. This is what I uh, appreciate. Uh, some philosopher once said that uh, art is to take aspects of reality and present them in the values that you care about, that you have nurtured. Uh, in my case, it's the love of light and form and nature. And with, I think with any artist who wants to present their view on the world, one has to know that inside one has to know what that is. What am I trying to say? Is it something that is worthwhile? Is life-enhancing, as uh, Bernard Berenson, an art critic, once said, something that a viewer can look at and feel more of a sense of life, something positive and something that opens up rather than closes down? So, I mean, that would be a recommendation um, when I was teaching, it, it was it was pretty much having students to come in touch with who they were, look at that, and then find a suitable, honest, sincere way of expressing that in their art. Well, that's excellent advice, and and I think very realistic for the artists today that they just. That is the big thing, is not get caught up in the travesties of the of the fame, if you will, but right. you have to stay honest to yourself and your work. Right. Yeah, what if it, um, Shakespeare said it well, you know, uh, if one, be, I'm paraphrasing, if one is true to oneself, then it follows uh, as uh, night to day that one cannot be false to another. And if one is true to one's work, my feeling is that that sense of truth will shine through and will not be superficial. It will be something that one will want to, uh, if we're talking professionally now, to take mm -hmm. that painting or take that piece of sculpture home to share with uh, with themselves and, and their family. It's something that can be, well, be part of the family and be a, a place one can go to for nourishment, for enjoyment, uh, and something that will last. Something that's not just temporary, a flash in the pan, but is enduring. 
to me that is uh, the endurance, the consistency is kind of the uh, the essence of, of great art. That is so true. Well, James, it's been a real pleasure, and thank you for joining us today on An Artist Speaks. Thank you, Mike. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and I, I appreciate very, very much the opportunity to uh, to speak with you and to have my work uh, on your website. Well, thank you, James, and we're looking forward to, to working with you and seeing more of your wonderful art. Yes, you will be getting some more images of, of my work. Thanks again, Mike. And I also want to thank our listeners for being with us today. And again, to view James Torme's stunning art, or to listen to this interview, and of course purchase some of James Torme's art, visit us at ContemporaryArtGalleryOnline.com. And I want to let all the artists listening in today know that Contemporary Art Gallery Online hosts a monthly art competition and exhibition. To enter your art, just click on the Art Competition tab and follow the prompts, and you can even check out all of our other upcoming competitions and exhibitions as well. If you're an architect, interior designer, or just a lover of art who likes to have interesting and beautiful art adorning your walls, then visit us at ContemporaryArtGalleryOnline.com and view some of the most exciting original art that you just can't find anywhere else. And while visiting our gallery, we would love for you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog. So please sign up so you can keep up with all that is happening at the gallery. So we'll meet again in two weeks. But next Saturday at this time, be sure to listen into our show, The Business of Art, hosted by artist and published author Sharon Hawkshaw, as she shares tips and ideas on how artists can grow their business. And again, thank you for listening today, and have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you.